Glad to see everybody this morning. Thank y'all for coming. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started today. For those of you that weren't able to make it last night to the hamburger throwdown at, at Casa de la Coupe, we had a good time, and uh, maybe y'all can make the next one. But um, for everybody that did come, thanks for coming. We'll do something again soon. Uh, I've gotten more anxious about this lesson the closer it's gotten to time to teach it. Um, and I'm not really sure why normally I, I don't get nervous. I don't get really anxious about things that I talk about. But this one's got me stirred up today. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about what to do when God's directions don't make sense. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. We, uh, we're blessed. We are blessed people. We're blessed for a lot of reasons. But uh, one reason that we are blessed is because we serve a God, we live for a God who is interested in talking to us. It's an aspect of God's nature that's borne out time and time again in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 9, that's one of the first pictures that we have of God reaching out to His creation. He's searching for Adam in the garden because He was used to walking with Adam, it says, in the cool of the day and talking to him. And Adam wasn't there anymore. Well, the reason was because Adam had sinned and was off hiding. God was looking for him because he wanted to talk to him like he had been. Even after the fall, God devised a way for man to still be able to come and talk to God. God talked with Noah. He told him about his plans for a violent and wicked world. God spoke with Abraham. He called Abraham out of his own country. He sent him to a different land. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush. He talked to Moses again on the mountain, gave him the Ten Commandments. The Old Testament is filled with these examples of God's desire to converse with and be close to his people. And it's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament too, because we believe that this Old Testament God robed Himself in flesh. And that same Old Testament God who put on flesh came to earth. He preached to His people. He touched them. He walked among them. And even after His ascension, He still continues to speak directly with mankind. Paul on the road to Damascus. That was a, that was a direct communication from a, from a risen Christ to Paul. John on the Isle of Patmos. God gave him visions and spoke to him about things that would come in the future. So Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, shows us that God wants to talk to you and to me. He wants to talk to mankind. That's, I mean, I, I just think that's pretty awesome because we're talking about the creative force, right, that put galaxies in place and set the universe in order and, and, and did it just with the power of His Word alone. Let there be. That God wants to communicate with me and wants to communicate with you. 
I just think that's a pretty powerful blessing. And I've heard stories about, and maybe some of you guys have too, about saints that have had, um, like, have heard an audible voice from God. I can, some of you guys will know and, and maybe remember Harold Aurelian back from first church days. Um, you listen to Harold Aurelian's testimony and his personal story about how he came to God. And he tells you, I heard an audible voice from God, and this is what it said to me. The beginnings of, uh, of his salvation start with an audible voice. And it's times, uh, there, there's times where God chooses to speak to his people that way. I've never, at least not at this point in my life, I've not had a, an audible voice from God. It'd be, I think it would be a pretty cool experience one day. But sometimes, and, and you can look in Scripture and you listen to someone's, like Harold Aurelian's testimony, sometimes God, whenever He speaks, His directions are very specific um, and very precise. And sometimes God even chooses to reveal His motivations. He doesn't just tell you what He wants you to do. He tells you why He wants you to do it. Whenever God spoke with Noah, He told Noah exactly what he wanted him to do. He said, I want you to build an ark. I want you to make it this long. I want you to make it this high. I want you to make it this wide. And here's why. Because in just a little while, I'm going to flood the whole earth. And you need to be ready. That's pretty specific stuff. But that's not always the case. And to be honest with you guys, more often than not, I don't, whenever God talks to me, He's not necessarily very specific. And very rarely does he explain himself to me. So I want to use Ezekiel's experience today as kind of a, a backdrop for this idea about how should we respond and what we should do whenever God's directions to us make no sense at all. I asked uh, Ben to help me read today, um, and you'll, you will be, most of you will be familiar with this story. This is Ezekiel's vision of being in the valley of dry bones, right? So um, read verse 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9, maybe uh, a little bit longer than that, maybe verses 1 through 14, but 1 through 9 for sure. Uh, ben, verse 1, Ezekiel chapter 37. Okay, so stop right there. How did he get in a valley of dry bones? God put him there. This is a, this is a valley. So God put Ezekiel in a valley. Now, my personal preference is that if God's going to take me anywhere, He's going to take me to a mountaintop. God doesn't, he's, He doesn't put people in valleys. Does He? <clears throat> Earlier this week, um, 
I was watching another one of those documentaries that usually put me to sleep in the, in the evening, and they were talking about the, uh, the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean. It's the, uh, it's the deepest place on earth. It's found in the uh, Pacific Ocean, and it reaches a depth of 35,820 feet below sea level. I'll give you an idea of how deep that is. If you could travel 60 miles an hour straight down through the ocean, it would take you almost seven minutes to get to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Now, I've never been to New York City. I know some of us in here have. They've even been to the top of the Empire State Building. Uh, it's a great story. The Empire State Building is 1,250 feet high. So if you started at the lowest point of the Marianas Trench, you would have to stack 29 Empire State Buildings end to end to reach the ocean's surface. The Marianas Trench, is, it's, a low, it's a low place. It's a dark place. Sunlight does not exist there. And it's a cold place, and it is a place of immense pressure. And apparently, sometimes God puts people that he loves about, uh, that he loves, that he cares about in places like that. And whenever you are in a valley where it's cold and dark and there's pressure, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would God put me in a place where my spirit feels frozen? Where I can't see where I'm going? And why there's so much pressure on me? Why would God do that? Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Ben? He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Mm-hmm. He said he led me all over the valley floor. NIV says he, he led me back and forth among them. So God's giving Ezekiel a, a really good long look at this valley. It wasn't a short stay. Led him all over the valley. So I want you to take a good long look at this valley, Ezekiel. Uh, yeah, Lord, there's a lot of there's a lot of bones out here. So this wasn't just a valley. It was a valley full of dry bones. So I don't really know how this is going to get any worse. Because it's a valley. And it's full of bones. And they're not just any old bones. They're they're dried up bones. Verse 3, Ben. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? All right. Now that's a question. O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone. (laughs) I love this answer. So God, you're you're pretty out there on this one. Um, You've got me in this valley, and it's a bunch of bones here, and you want to ask me if the bones can live. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. So what, what great proclamation of faith does Ezekiel make? What John Sharia, you always used to talk about making the good confession in those moments whenever your faith is being challenged and in those times of crisis you make a good confession. So what does, what does Ezekiel say to God's question? Ezekiel, can these bones live? 
What does he say? God, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to say one way or the other because I don't really know. So, Lord, you go ahead and answer that question. You know God. God doesn't send the faith fairy down to Ezekiel and zap him with the great <laughs> wand of faith. And Ezekiel suddenly find himself able to make this great proclamation that he wouldn't have been able to without the help of the faith fairy. God doesn't even recognize that Ezekiel, now he may have seen it, but he doesn't, he doesn't recognize it, that Ezekiel's having a bit of, of a faith crisis here in this valley. He doesn't, God doesn't acknowledge it. And God doesn't mercifully take Ezekiel out of the valley and put him somewhere else. Not hardly. Verse 4, Ben. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Yeah, okay. I want you to prophesy to these bones, Jason. Casey, I want you to speak to the stuff that's around you that's dead and dried up. Ethel, I know you're in a valley and there's a lot of pressure and you can't really see your way forward and it's dark and you haven't really felt me in, in a while, but I want you to go ahead and speak to this dried up dead stuff that's around you. <coughs> now that doesn't make sense. And I know what Coop would be thinking. They don't have any ears. They can't they can't hear me. Their their ears have rotted off. They cannot there's no physical mechanism that would make what you're asking me to do make any kind of sense. Your, your directions, they don't, they don't make any kind of sense in this situation. Finish. Uh, let, let's read um, verses 4 through 6, Ben. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come alive and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now here's the good part. In verse 7, Ezekiel records, So I prophesied as I was commanded. I don't understand it. I can't see it. I feel like a complete idiot talking to a bunch of dead dry bones that don't even have any ears to hear me. But I prophesied, he said, I prophesied as commanded. 
Now, I, I am not one to ever say that I have all of the answers. I know I don't. But I think Ezekiel shows us something here that's a valuable lesson for us. You want to know what to do when God's directions don't make sense? Obey. Obey. Just obey. But it's, Jason, it's a valley. I didn't put myself here. I've got a sneaking suspicion that God put me here in this place of pressure. I know. Obey. I know you're God and everything, but it's it's hard here in this valley. And God, you're telling me everything I need to know in order to feel comfortable, but you haven't given me this detailed project analysis of each step with you know being highlighted and and clearly annotated, your directions, they don't, they don't make any sense. You need to obey. <clears throat> ben, would you finish verse 7? So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all around the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. When did this bone start to come back together, Ben? He said, what? As I, as I spoke. As I prophesied. As I spoke. I find it interesting that um, Ezekiel was in the middle of the prophesying part. Not after it was done and over. He's speaking, and the stuff is coming together. Not, okay, now I'm finished, and this is how it's all going to happen. Not, okay, now it's done, and the word has been spoken, and this is what I'm going to see. It's God put that stuff together before Ezekiel even had the end in mind. Just think on that a little. Ezekiel obeyed. We get right down to it in the face of a bunch of stuff not making sense. Being in a weird place that was uncomfortable. He still obeyed. And those things started coming together. So, maybe somebody's in a valley today. I don't know what kind of valley you might be in. It might be the darkest thing you've ever been through. It might be something that was just unexpected. But God's asking you to do some things in the middle of all this pressure and weirdness and they don't make any kind of sense. And you can't even see 
the things that God's asking you to do, there's no physical means by which that stuff would even have an effect. I, I just feel like God sent me here in the Holy Ghost to tell somebody that you need to just obey. Verses 9 through 10. Ben, can you read that? Do you have it? Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Hmm. Who's he prophesying to now? And what does he say right at the beginning of verse 9? Who's Ezekiel talking to, Ben? Did y'all catch it? Told him to prophesy to the wind? Okay, well now we're gone just another step toward ridiculousness at this point, Lord. Because before there were at least some bones for me to talk to, but now you've got me talking to the wind. It's, it's starting to get pretty crazy. Somehow Ezekiel's able to keep his tongue in check and say the things that God wanted him to say instead of the things Ezekiel probably wanted to say himself. In verse 11, I think this is where we'll stop. What does verse 11 say? <clears throat> then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. So our bones were dried up. Our hope, our hope was lost. So if you've got some lost hope today, the things that have supported you in the past seem to have dried up, then there's life. There's a promise of life if we obey and do those nonsensical, crazy things that God has asked us to do. Luke chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 1 and 2. And we're going to be done here shortly. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. You know what I find interesting about this passage? The Bible says that Jesus was full of the Holy Ghost, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. Kind of like the Spirit dropped Ezekiel down in the middle of this valley of dry bones. You know, the wilderness over there is not like our wilderness here with, you know, all kind of bubbling brooks and pretty green mountainsides. It's inhospitable, barren, hot, dry. And the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. That's what I want to do. Go fast for 40 days in the middle of some place that's barren, hot, and dry. But the Spirit led him to do it. And the Bible says that he ate nothing and afterward he hungered. I guess he did. I guess he was a little hungry. And so then what happens? Angels show up and it's just this no. Now the devil comes onto the scene. 
Physically, Christ was at his weakest. And now he's being tested. And the Spirit is what led him. Now, I don't want to cause any trouble. I don't want to bust anybody's theological bubble. Christ was all man. He was all God. I've got the all man part down pretty good. I'm still working on the God part. Still got quite a bit of work to do there. But I've got a pretty good idea about what Coop would be thinking if I had been Jesus. You put me in the wilderness, ask me to fast for 40 days, and now the devil's going to show up and start to test me and tempt me. Okay, I'm, I'm full of the Holy Ghost, right? Because just a few chapters ago, God spoke from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the dove came down and all that stuff. So obviously, God, I've got your favor, but, or at least I had it. But now I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm uncomfortable. I'm dirty. The devil's on my back. I'm being tested in ways that I've never been tested before in my life. And you are the one who put me here. That doesn't make sense, and I've got just a little bit of a problem with it. But you know, I've always found it interesting that it was after his wilderness experience that Christ began his earthly ministry. <clears throat> after he obeyed the leadership of the Spirit into an uncomfortable place, is when his earthly ministry started. Even though that calling of the Spirit and leading of the Spirit caused him to go into a desert place, even though it was a place of testing and a place of resistance, he obeyed the call of the Spirit, and it was after that that he begins to do the miraculous. So, my word for you today, when God's directions don't make sense, is obey. Be obedient. Don't be surly. I'm pretty good at that. I got that part down. Don't be negative. Don't be grouchy. As best you can. Follow what God is asking you to do. I had um, I had a discussion with a, a friend of mine um, earlier this week, just some stuff I've been going through at work and needed somebody that was um, kind of didn't have a dog in the hunt. I needed to be able to talk to about stuff that I was feeling and, and stuff that uh, was happening and um, we talked about um, those times in our lives where God has spoken so clearly it was unmistakable, almost like a rock between the eyes. Anybody ever had an experience like that where God spoke to you and it's just, this is nothing else other than the voice of God. 
I didn't come up with that. And it's, it's just, you just know. You just know how it came that it was God. I don't, I don't know how to explain those times. I've had them before. They make it, I'm not going to say easy, but those experiences, those, those rock between the eyes experiences, they make it easier, Brian, to do something because you know that whatever happens, God told me to do that. Um, and what, what my friend told me, he said, Jason, those experiences are great, but there's not a whole lot of faith involved in those rock-between-the-eye moments. But whenever all you've got, I, I want to be careful here and I want to be sensitive, but whenever all you've got is a feeling, an urging, just a, just a tug, Casey, that won't quit, won't let go. You've, you felt it long enough to know it wasn't the pizza that you had the night before. It's been consistent enough it, it won't leave you alone. I'm going to tell you, you need to go ahead and listen to that. You don't want to pass that by. You want to obey that. And the reward, the spiritual payoff in those moments is going to be greater than your obedience in those rock between the eye moments. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I think, this is my personal opinion, I haven't fleshed this out in Scripture enough, and if somebody in here wants to take issue, then this would be a good time because I don't feel like I'm in book with this. But I feel like God has given me rock between the eye moments to get me ready for the gentle tugging, pulling, consistent feeling moments. I'll open that up for discussion if anybody wants to take a shot at that. Than my personal experience. Um, I want to finish with two things. Sometimes God's directions don't make sense because it's a matter of perspective. Um, back in the way back days of warfare before we had, you know, instant communication via radio or, or digitally, um, commanders would have to communicate with the soldiers on, on the field through a variety of different ways. They used trumpets and horns and signals and flags and, and all that kind of stuff. Typically, the commanders positioned themselves on the highest ground available. And they gave orders to the soldier who was down involved in the struggle based on their perspective and what they could see. And sometimes there was an order given to a soldier or a group of soldiers to move forward and press forward. And for the soldier down on the field, did not look like the right thing to do. Matter of fact, looked like the exact wrong thing to do. Sometimes commander gave an order to the soldier on the field to retreat. And it didn't seem like the right time to retreat, but... What you've got to remember is that the commander's position and perspective was a lot different and a lot more holistic than the soldier's perspective. 
what the soldier could see was battle and what was immediately in front and to either side. The commander's position was a lot more elevated and saw a bigger picture. That simple little analogy has helped me a lot of times whenever God has told me to do something that absolutely makes no sense at all. God, I'm going to trust your perspective more than I trust my own. And if you say to go here, and you're going to open this door for me to go, then I'm going to trust that you're opening the right doors for me, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to, a little bit at odds with how to, how to bring this to a close today. I'll bring it in for a landing and, and see if you guys have anything to add. But <clears throat> several years ago, um, Ethan was still an infant. Uh, I mean, it, it's, well, it's been right at 12 or 13 years ago now because Julie and I were celebrating our 10th anniversary. Uh, we had bought this minivan from a, uh, a family. Oh, minivan. But we had bought this minivan from this place in Shreveport, and um, Julie had been up there with her dad, and they drove it home, and, or she drove it home, and they had given us... Uh, two keys, and they had to cut a new one, and you know, one of those computerized keys or whatever. Julie and I had plans to go out to eat for our 10th anniversary, and uh, went out there and stuck this key in, and it didn't start, it wouldn't come out. I'm trying every trick I can think of. I'm pushing the brake, turning the wheel, I got Julia's key, I'm holding it over the new key, doing everything I can trying to get to, I'm, I'm fighting with this thing for 15, 20 minutes trying to get it out. It won't come out. So by now, my blood pressure's in the stratosphere, and I'm on the phone with some poor guy in Bossier City, Louisiana, uh, chewing him out about how he has ruined my anniversary, ruined my dinner plans, ruined my life, and he was going to make it right. And the poor guy, he was like, Mr. Cooper, it's 5.30 on Saturday. What do you want me to do? And I said, Monday morning, you're going to have a tow truck in my driveway, pick up this stupid van, you're going to take it. And he was like, Mr. Cooper, whatever it takes to make it right, we're going to do it. And uh, so we went out to eat, and it, it, my attitude, to be quite frank, just kind of cast a, a pall over the whole evening. Um, Sunday morning, getting up and, and, and going to church and, and doing all the stuff that we were involved in, singing and all that kind of thing, well, now Ethan's running a fever. So Julia's staying home. I'm taking Kaylin to church by myself, and she's fussing in the back seat, and we're on her way, and I'm like, God. I don't know what it is you're trying to teach me in the middle of all this mess, but whatever it is, you need to be a little bit more specific because I'm not getting it. And that's just the way I prayed. And guys, I'm telling you, right between the eyes, it was like he went and, and poked me right there. And this is the word I got. Pick up the phone and call Julia and tell her to take the key out of the van. I was like, well, you're kidding me, right? It's like, that's, that's, not, that's not God. I'm, I'm just, if you want me to bless you, pick up the phone and call Julie. Okay, God, let's see what's going to happen here. So I take out my little Nokia candy bar phone, you know, I had the blue one, and uh, had snake on it. Anybody have one of those? So I called Julia. I'm like, look, uh, I'm just trying to be obedient here. Felt like an idiot. Um, 
go out and take the key out of the van. And she gives me one of those okays where you can tell it's kind of like what you're either crazy, but I'm going to listen to okay. So I hear her rattling around. She's like, well, what do you want me to do here? I was like, I, I don't know, baby. Just try to take the key out of the van. And uh, she said something. I don't know what she said. I, I, she, I thought she said it won't come out. And I'm like, look, I'm just trying to be obedient. She said, no, it came out. The key came out. And she didn't do anything that I hadn't done for 15 or 20 minutes the night before. So it would be a neat little story if it stopped there, but the story doesn't stop there. That morning at church, I'm up there on the platform, I'm doing my praise singer thing, and kind of had one of those prayer services, you know, we we would have at the beginning of church, people would come up to the front, during the prayer song and be prayed for and we were having one of those services you could just kind of tell starting to get a little bit out of hand God was starting to move and not one of those like bite the ceiling swing from the chandelier kind but just the kind of deep moves and so I'm, I'm standing up there on the platform doing my little praise team thing and this guy comes forward for prayer and um, I know the guy uh, his name's Mike and I'm just, uh, you know, up there, like, you know, kind of singing and, and pray at the same time. And that voice comes again. You need to go down and pray for Mike. He has nerve damage in the left side of his back. That's pretty specific. I got scared. I'm not talking about, like, a little, ner- I'm talking, like, scared. Like, about to vomit, scared. And uh, Mike was down there. He was praying, man. He was, he was really trying to get a touch from God. And so I, I, I went out. I was just like, God, just kind of touch Mike and, and touch his back. And, and uh, service moved on. So after church, I, I go talk to Mike. I'm like, uh, and I'm fishing. You know, I don't want to say anything. I, I'm just fishing. I said, uh, Mike, I saw you come down to the front. It looked like God, you know, really, really touched you. He said, man, he said, I've been having so many problems with my back. He said, I went to the doctor two weeks ago, and they gave me an injection inside of my back, and they did some nerve damage. He said, and I am just really, really struggling. And it's cool because, yeah, that was, you know, kind of confirmed, but what gets me is that I had an opportunity to pray for that, and I didn't. And it was a rock between the eyes moment, and I didn't capitalize on it. Now, is that to say that Mike's got to suffer due to my lack of disobedience? I don't believe that's how God works. But I can tell you this, I act on those things now. And it's part of learning, just learning the vocabulary. And I think God talks to us all in different ways. The way he talks to Casey and and the way he talks to John are going to be different. But it's just learning the vocabulary of how God talks to us. But folks, whenever you start learning that vocabulary, don't chicken out. He He might ask you to do some some pretty out there things that may alter your life in some pretty serious ways, but you want to obey. You want to obey. You want to listen to those things. There's a purpose for it, Brady. It really is.
All right, I'm done. Questions, comments, suggestions, experiences? Anybody? All right. Well, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll roll on. Lord, I thank you 